0: God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hey, welcome back to Thread. We're a leaders podcast looking for examples from scripture of good leadership and bad leadership so we can do a better job as people who really want to influence other people. Uh, I am still in Greece on a small island, a little community here, so same rules, and uh, as last time, you're going to probably hear a whole lot of noise in the background, but I just thought, let's just keep cruising on here. Uh, We have finished up the book of Acts, and now we are in the wrap-up phase as we look at the things that we, we got from this study and the takeaways from uh, from what we've seen over the last many months as we've gone through this book. You know, I'm just so grateful for the extensive record of the early church, uh, early Christian movement, uh, because I think it's, I mean, I just try to imagine what it would be like if we had no record of early Christianity. But as it is, we've got this very extensive record, and it allows us to return to the pattern and the spirit of this thing that Christ started. And I love to observe the, the spirit of it, the purity, the clarity of values, the determined purpose. And, uh, you know, even the conflicts that I see in the book of Acts, they are conflicts that have a, a purpose, you know, they're about values. And uh, they're they're usually, you know, sometimes those values even touch on doctrinal things. And so, You know, some things are worth fighting about. You don't want unnecessary conflict, but, you know, it's hard to have a movement that doesn't have a certain level of conflict because everybody's not on the same page, and some people start doing things in a movement that, you know, they might think of as innovative or it's just the way they want to do it, and you need to have ongoing discussions to make sure that you're staying in line with the uh, the purposes and the values you know that you're all about, I think it's really important for all of us to touch this stone occasionally and to correct our direction as modern Christians. You know, as we uh, as we get off track. So I'm I've uh, I just filled notebook pages with uh, the takeaways that I got from this book, and I'm not going to try to do them all, there's too many even to do in one episode, so I'm going to split this up and we're going to do uh, two episodes of just overall feelings and lessons from the book of Acts. So here we go, number one, I think what I get is that we really need to focus on being a kingdom movement and not individual churches. Um, that continues to be one of the biggest battles is this it's not just tribalism uh you know where it's like our church versus your church ours is the best church that's part of it but i think for me the bigger lesson is just churchianity versus christianity and you know i'm a pastor i'm a career pastor over 20 years i've pastored small medium and large churches uh, we've planted the churches that we pastored so I think I've I can speak from experience but I can also say that as a as a person uh, we have personal needs and if we're not careful our personal need for um, affirmation and status and uh, belonging, you know, it can it can get us into a situation where our main focus is this organized church that we're in charge of and trying to make it the most awesome, you know, that it can be, and it just we just get absorbed with it. And it's uh, I was really happy in my lifetime that God raised up Ed Silvoso because he did more than anybody in my life um, about calling pastors in a city to think of themselves as uh, shepherds within the one church. You know, that there's one church in this city. It is the church at, in the Bible days, you know, the church at Ephesus. That wasn't one congregation. There were a lot of house churches. And they passed that letter around, and they all knew they were the church at Ephesus. Not their one group, but everybody in town. And I just think that was such an important uh, re um, realigning of the Christian group as movements, as a movement and not individual churches. You know, the last thing we want to be is just another religion, but we really need to be part of God's kingdom movement. We need to be global. We need to be about God's agenda. We need to be um, people who understand the tremendous authority that we have as members of God's kingdom, as sons and daughters of the king, that we've been given authority to extend grace. You know, God gave us the ability and the authority and the power to be able to reach into the lives of individuals and to bring grace to them. And uh, there's like this anointing that goes with us uh, when we understand that the church is not the group that meets in that building it is the people of God in this whole city and as we walk out on mission and we see ourselves as a movement that's here to be you know to to be spread more than a church to invite people to join uh, i just think it would be such a correction to christianity globally if we could uh, if we could just more focus on being a kingdom movement not individual churches so that's number 1 number 2 i think uh, what I learned in this book, too, is the need to consciously make space for the Holy Spirit and to rely, I mean, really rely on His actions more than ours. And, uh, you know, th- this has gone so far the other way. In some cases, uh, I'll never forget someone showing me some discipling material that was produced by a, uh, by a Baptist group once, um, with a Dallas Seminary background, and I looked, and they had just removed... They were studying, uh, they were studying the Scriptures and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were, you know, it was during the Charismatic Movement, so they felt a need to respond. And so they had produced their own gifts of the Holy Spirit list, and they completely excised from the list the gifts of tongues. You know, they were able to make prophecy into just mere preaching, but tongues and interpretations of tongues, you know they just cut it out. Like, it's not even in the Bible. The same way I've seen um, in Catholic countries, the Ten Commandments, you know, take out the commandment completely about idolatry and split one of the other commandments in half because everybody knows there's supposed to be ten. So you still end up with ten. <laughs> you just remove the one that you don't like. And it's like, wow, that big, that much fear of the Holy Spirit's moving In an uncontrollable way, you know, they just want it to be and when you looked at the way that they were approaching the gifts of the Spirit, there was nothing in there that you even had to have the Holy Spirit, you know, there's no miracle touch that was needed for any of that, you know, you can be merciful, you can be a giver, you can be someone who teaches God's Word, you know, in a purely human world that's all that we would need. But that isn't what the New Testament church was about. They they understood that this was the move of God and that the spirit of God, the presence, the wind of God, the person of God was the intelligence behind our life as Christians and the expansion of this movement. So the thought that we would just make human actions, and believe that somehow by our efforts, we're going to do this great spiritual war, you know, it's just nonsense. But it's easy to fall into it. Even I'm a Pentecostal. And even growing up in that background, it's very easy, especially in modern Pentecostalism, to, you know, we've got the same church order. We've got the, it really falls down to the work of man in a lot of ways. And if anybody gets too exercised in even most Pentecostal churches these days, you and know, an usher will try to help you calm down or leave the building. And, um, and I'm not just talking about in church services. I just mean, we have to understand, like say Acts 2.8, you know, it says that God bears witness, you know, that all, uh, there's miracle signs and wonders as we, um, as we take his message, God himself will bear witness to that message because you know I don't want this to just be human persuasion and we learn all these you know marketing ways to get people to join our group not their group I mean who can be born again in an environment like that so I just think we have to consciously remind ourselves to make space for God uh, I remember in an in a time when our church was growing really fast and we had a lot going on and I had a lot of baby Christians and you know for me as the preacher the big deal in the service was preaching And so I'm trying to leave myself enough time uh, to really do a good, thorough sermon. And I remember the day that the Lord rebuked me, and He said, If you will give me space, I will show up. And I realized that we didn't have any space for God. We had a time when we worshipped and sang songs to Him, and we had a time that we brought our money, and we gave it to Him and to His mission. And then there was a time that I stood up and talked about Him, but where was He? We just said, oh, yes, he's here invisibly. Yeah, but he wants to really manifest himself. So we just began at the end of the worship, you know, when the people were in their best state of receiving, we just said, if you've got a need in your life and you want prayer, you know, come to the front, come to the sides. And I mean, that became, for me now, the central focus of every Sunday was that moment and seeing what God would do week after week when we acknowledge that this is His meeting, it's His church, it's His kingdom, and His Spirit is here, and we want Him, we welcome Him to move on us. Okay, third, uh, we have to prioritize evangelism. Um, We are constantly, as a church, preoccupied with ourselves, and we will, you know, there's a constant aggravation of trying to keep Christians sufficiently entertained and busy enough in the schedule, and we spend so much of our energy on church maintenance. And I look in the New Testament church, and you know, in times where the priority became evangelism, and especially evangelism to unreached or underserved groups, uh, things happened. Because you know Christianity is an inherently evangelizing faith, as we said. You won't have Hindus try to convert you to Hinduism because it's, it's not in their religion to have to do that. But we are an inherently evangelizing, evangelizing faith because Christ said, that's why I'm leaving you behind. I would take you with me. But I want you here because you have a mission to do, and it is to take the gospel. And I have found that God is present. When we share the gospel boldly, by any means, at our disposal, anything is possible. You know, lost people matter to God. And the number one mandate of His people is to make disciples of all the nations. So, the New Testament church focused primarily on extending grace to people outside its walls. And because of that, they didn't need walls. And for three, think about this, 300 years without a Christian building. Maybe somewhere somebody built a really big house, but, you know, off and on these were persecution years, and the last thing you wanted was a, you know, a flag flying to say, yes, uh, attack here. So they met in houses, they moved. This is not for a week. It's not for 10 years. Three centuries we did just fine uh, without massive church building projects. Number four, uh, Acts two forty two said they gathered together, and they were built up because of doctrine and fellowship and sharing meals and corporate prayer. There is, uh, when, you know, in trying to disciple people, the modern method is so educational in its an approach. You know, it's going to be about uh, studying these books, and if you're more serious. Uh, Campus Crusade style. It's going to be memorizing these scriptures. Still good, but still educational in its approach. The New Testament church seemed to disciple with osmosis as much as anything else. Uh, Yes. Uh, Now, it wasn't just happy fellowship. The first word in the list is doctrine. So I'm not saying go soft on teaching because they didn't. They had a lot of uh, message to communicate, and they wanted to make sure that everybody in the church knew this message and knew this content, uh, so solid churches are built on solid doctrine, but not just you can 't just have a preaching church you 've got to have fellowship, you need to live in community you know where you share your um, your problems and your joys and you bear burdens with each other, and you eat food together, and you pray you gather together just to pray, not you know to stand there and have one person pray on behalf of everybody. To all get together just for prayer. You know, when's the last time that you had just corporate prayer time in church? I would love that. You know, as a pastor, I always love those nights where I didn't have to preach. It was just we're going to come together and we're just going to worship and then we're going to pray and that's all we're going to do. Uh, so eat food, pray together, hang out, and nail down those core teachings of Jesus. Number five. The focus of our declaration needs to be on Jesus. The New Testament church was very clear on that. They didn't, you don't hear them talking about how to be happier, healthier, wealthier. The New Testament church preached Jesus. They bragged on what he had done for them. They bragged on what he had done for others. They declared who he was. They talked about his big plan to save the world. So I think we'll all do well to preach and pray in the name of Jesus and and focus uh, the core of our declaration on Him. I've always appreciated Hillsong for that, because I feel like their message is such a strong Christ-centered message. Even in their worship, I mean, they are honoring Jesus over and over, at least back from the Darlene Czech days forward for what would that be 15 or 20 years A really solid vein of that so uh, and I think that's why their their music is so attractive around the world focus on Jesus number six um, we need to brace ourselves for persecution from an antichrist world I think the modern church is especially in um, Christianized prosperous countries. The modern church is totally unequipped for pushback. We get the daily grinding messages, you know, through media, social media. It never stops. It's anti-Christ, anti-church, anti-pastor, anti-Christian. It's to the point that now even Christians are mouthing these same words. And it's like we're the most self-critical that the church has probably been, um, not with a lot of people doing anything different, just mouthing. And all it is is we're repeating what's in our dramas. And, you know, how many. I would say when I was 20 years old or under, I might have known five movies where someone said something really mean to God. But I might hear it once a week now if I watch enough stuff. They just love. To, you know this blaspheming spirit just angry hateful toward God you know the Bible says last days people will be God haters and and it, they are and uh, I think we need to do a little better job helping to prepare people for persecution from an anti-christian world they have to learn that we are not part of the culture we're anti-culture we're counter culture we're pushing something different. From what they want, and we have to expect resistance, uh, spiritual resistance, and them pushing back. And you know, we want to avoid persecution when we can, but when we have to stand at the line and answer direct questions about our relationship with our Savior, we must not fail the Lord. You know, we've had some cases recently of high-profile Christians uh, put in um, in the honored chair in some glorious media person's TV show and asked pointed questions about their faith. And we've watched them buckle. You know, They weasel their answers, and they avoid saying the hard thing because they don't want to get the hits for it. Uh, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me in front of these people, I will be ashamed of you. But if you will stand by me, I will stand by you. We can't fail the Lord. When we're at these moments of testing, that's part of Christian discipleship is to train believers to stand up when you're under pressure like that. And, uh, you know, I really love the attitude of Middle Eastern followers of Jesus because they know that to follow Christ is a, you are committing yourself to die because it is very possible that you will be martyred. It might not happen to everybody. It doesn't happen to most people, but it does happen. And these days it's happening with increasing fierceness and brutality. But when you hear them um, talk about this, even when you hear the families, like uh, the family of the, um, the Ethiopians who were beheaded on the beach, so many of them, and to hear their families talk about it, you know, they're proud of them. They're proud of their strength, and they're proud of the way that they handled themselves during that moment, and uh, we need to get it in our mind. There may be a day that I have to stand up for Jesus and take, take my hits. And uh, it's always been that way, and it's important to prepare people for that. Number seven, uh, we need to understand that ours is a wartime, not a peacetime activity. And I think a lot of people don't get that. You know, we're engaged in a spiritual war with forces of darkness, and those forces of darkness have a conspiracy within society. Uh, that John calls the world. It's a system. It's an organized system that has the economy, education, entertainment, government, family. It's all rolled into one, and it's all against God, and it's against His Son. And so uh, it's important that we learn that we can take authority over evil spirits, and those spirits that are inspiring evil human actions, we can boldly use our free will and just lean into these human systems of deception. You know, we're not just to run from this. We are here to bash down the gates of hell. That's a spiritual war. But we are told that we have all authority. So if we won't wimp out on this... But if we will use our free will and lean into these things and push on these institutions that bring bondage and pull down any high thing that exalts itself against the character and will and desires of God, uh, we're going to be a force of power again. You know, Peter rebuked priests, Paul cast a demon out of a female fortune teller. He rebuked Elamus the sorcerer. Um, Peter tells Simon Magnus what he can do with his money when he offered him a bribe. The New Testament church boldly challenged darkness. And when darkness came against it, they stood up to it. The darkness, of course, is going to fight back. Sure it does. But darkness can't prevail because greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. And all you have to do in darkness is light one candle. And the effect is amazing. Darkness is weaker than light. And we need to believe that, understand we're in a battle, but believe that light is stronger than darkness and push. Uh, Number eight, don't give up on people. You know, we see this all through the book of Acts also. The biggest example is Saul becoming Paul. And in chapter 15, we've got John Mark, the uh, failed missionary coming back and becoming John Mark, the... The valued um, first partner of Barnabas, but later partner of Paul again, and uh, you know Paul mentions him warmly in one of his letters. That uh, bring Mark; he's important to me. You know, he's very valuable to me. So don't give up on people. If people mess up, you know we're the whole. We are the faith. Now, I've heard people say Christianity is the only place where uh, you know we shoot our wounded, and I think that's way overplayed. I think. More than anything else, we give people who make mistakes a hundred chances to come back i 've seen people restored after some of the most disastrous failures, and you would think i don 't know if they ever need to be put in leadership, but i 've seen them given a second chance and a third chance sometimes so don 't give up on people you know we 're the religion about grace and transformation and forgiveness, and we need to live that out number nine. We need to reach cheerfully across racial and cultural lines. In Acts chapter 10, we see that you know when Cornelius was the first one, he reached across that line and he reached out to a Jew, you know Peter, who would culturally consider himself superior, holier, and actually polluted even by Friendship with you, and especially if he touched you, and even worse, if he dared enter your house, and worst of all, if he ate your food and put it inside his body, he would become defiled by you. And yet, the humility it's too bad that Cornelius had to do it, it should have been the Jewish church doing it. But you know, God starts it off with the humility of the Gentile, and so. Cornelius reaches across that line, and Peter is instructed by God to reach back and cross that line and go there and he does he engages with Cornelius, then he sleeps in his house, then he eats his food and he stays there and For all I know, this is what lost him leadership in the church i can 't tell how James gets in charge, but it is not um, it is not acceptable to the people back in Jerusalem when Peter comes home so You know, what we do find in that story, though, is that the Holy Spirit will reward you with His clear presence if you will do this. Anytime you have a chance to reach out across cultural or racial lines or, you know, whoever the hated group is to your people, if you can make yourself cross that line, God will bear witness. God will honor you for that, and the Holy Spirit will be especially present because you've done that. And number ten... We need to fight prejudice and bigotry in the church openly, even if it costs us for doing it. Um, You know, I mentioned already chapter 11, uh, Peter in trouble for going to Cornelius' house, but verse 18, you know, Peter's words win them over, and he helped to open their closed minds. You could tell they weren't 100% excited about it, but they could not deny that God was willing to. That they should reach across these lines. Uh, so when we find uh, the the total, you know, antithesis of what Jesus taught in in being a Christian bigot, and having Christians who are prejudiced, uh, not that we don't all have prejudice, but I'm talking about open systemic prejudice. When you know when that is in the church, that has to get dug out, and it's a it's one of the most Wow, you want pushback? That's one of the quickest ways to get it. But we're called by God to do it, and fighting prejudice is um, was a big part of Peter's ministry, and a big part of Paul's ministry, and that's why they go down in history as uh, men that we honor so highly. Actually, I'm gonna let me go two more real quick. Number eleven, we need to share the ministry in Acts chapter six. We see the um, the apostles sharing the ministry, establishing a whole new group that they call deacons, and then in Acts chapter 11, we see the Antioch church, and in verse 19 and following, we, we get it that they've already very much bought into this concept of a shared ministry with a ministry team, not just a superstar pastor. You know, there's Paul in the church. You'd think he'd be it. But Paul's one of the guys and there are all these men and and women in the church and they're all seeking God and the Lord is using them in teams to minister. And I think sharing the ministry is such a powerful, and I'm seeing more and more churches do it. And I just think it's a beautiful example of multiplying power you know, in the ministry. And number 12, this will be my last one. Uh, we need to get behind bold, strategic missions efforts. This Antioch church in chapter 13, when the Holy Spirit revealed to them that it is God's will, it is God's desire that we go on mission, you know, that we leave our familiar group and even our uh, geographic center that we tend to stay in all the time and we cross way outside of that with the intention of taking the message of Jesus to outside people, God blesses that. He loves that, and He wants us to do that. And that church got behind it, and that launched the ministry of Paul, and it launched the, um, the, just the beautiful result that went on all over Asia, uh, Europe and Asia, and we are the descendants of these people. So um, There's 12... Uh, things that I, we've already gotten strong takeaways from our study of the book of Acts. So if you would like to add your own, uh, just put it in the comments below this episode. Let us know what you think are some of the great takeaways from this chapter. And if you'd like to write me directly, just use my personal email, chuck com. I would love to hear from you. God bless you and expect God to use you. See you next time on Thread.